0: I'm going to begin with a question that I want you to consider. What would you have to own for you to have felt like you have made it? Maybe you're gathering with a few other people in your lounge room this morning to to worship and to join together as the church as we're able to. What would you have to own? I'm sure you could think of something, right? There's some, something on your wish list, something that sits high in your imagination, that if you had that thing, you feel like you've made it. Maybe it isn't something you own. So I'll ask you a second question. What would you have had to have achieved in your life, to make you feel like you had made it? Have a think about it. More than likely, you don't have to think too hard. More than likely, it's something that you've thought of often, imagined, dreamt about. I I wonder if you'd be brave enough to share it with someone near you. If there's someone around you, if there's a few of you gathered there, or even if it's just with your family, if you're on your own, it'd be a good idea maybe to note it down, reflect on it later. But what's something that you could own that would make you feel like you'd made it? Or what's something that you could achieve in your life that would make you feel like you'd made it? I'll give you a couple of moments. For me, it'd be owning a piece of land like what I'm standing on. (laughs) Bit of bush, a river would be nice. If I I could own a couple of hundred acres, I reckon, and um, maybe have even built nothing flash, nothing fancy, just a a bit of a shack, really, somewhere to keep the rain off my head, a fireplace, somewhere quiet. I've dreamt about that and I've imagined what it would be like. I've even jumped online and looked up the real estate sites that are selling rural land and seen the, the blocks that are out there for sale and dreamt about it. What would that be like if I could have just got that? I will have made it. It's the uh, the real Aussie battler's dream, isn't it? Block of land to call your own, or maybe it's a certain car, or a certain house, or a certain job. I, I don't know what what made your list, but there's something out there that makes you feel like you've you've made it, you've reached some objective in your life. this morning, as we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes again, we're going to hit on chapter two. And uh, Solomon's going to burst our balloon. He's going to burst the bubble that we live in, that we think that there's something that we can achieve. There's something that we can own. And if we just can gain those things, that we will have made it in life, that we'll have achieved the great Aussie dream. He's going to tell us this morning that the the Aussie battler's dream is meaningless without Jesus. Lord, help us to understand what you're going to say to us through your word this morning. We need it. You have the words of eternal life and we don't. And so give us eyes to see and ears to hear by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Grab your Bibles and... Let's read together, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now I want you to remember though that as we read this chapter, um, parts of it, that we need to keep in mind the verses that we finished last week's message on from Ecclesiastes 12. that, That although these reflections are written from Solomon's perspective, under the sun, He's going to be talking about what life is like from from an earthly human perspective. Yet he he very clearly says to us that these are actually the, the wise words, the cattle prods that are going to jolt us from our slumber and help us to turn and see something more, well, something of more substance. That in fact, these really aren't his words at all. Ecclesiastes 12 reminded us that these are the words of the one shepherd. This is a message from Jesus to take into consideration. So let's read together just the opening verses. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible today. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, just the first three verses. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness, and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see that it is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I sort of make an observation about those opening verses. Remember is Solomon still talking about life from the perspective of under the sun, right? This human perspective, this world that we live in, we can relate. We're here too. From his vantage point of life, how do we understand these things is what he's driving us to consider. Because isn't joy and pleasure, aren't they gifts from God for us to enjoy? Look, Solomon acknowledges that. If you go down to the end of the chapter in chapter 2 there, uh, right down to the end, there's some pretty famous verses. Verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. We'll get to that a little bit later, but Solomon acknowledges that, yeah, there's, there's a, a certain joy and, and, and pleasure. These are good things that we can enjoy. But pleasure apart from Christ... Well, he says that's futile. Go ahead, he says. Verse 1. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I want you to take note, though, that that he says that it turned out to be futile. It turned out to be futile. The emptiness of Christless pleasure often isn't perceived in the pleasure. And what do I mean by that is, while we're neck deep in the pleasure, it feels good. It feels satisfying, right? Whatever it might be, it doesn't necessarily have to be something sinful. It could just be something enjoyable. It's enjoyable and so we enjoy it. (laughs) But Solomon's reflecting back on these things at the end of his life. And it's important to note that when we're in the middle of it, it seems good. But Solomon says it turns out to be futile. I I imagine that you might already get where Solomon's coming at from that angle, at least. He's... He's looking back on a lifetime and whether you are an older person this morning or younger person or somewhere in between like I am, you've probably already experienced certain things that that you set your mind to that you wanted to achieve or gain. And, And when you got them, you sort of thought, wow, this is fantastic. I love this. This is enjoyable. It's pleasurable. It's good. And yet the shine wore off pretty quick. The buzz that it gave to begin with soon wore off. And maybe something that you once longed for, now you've left behind. That's what Solomon's talking about. The things that we set in front of us as great goals, great pleasures to enjoy, he says they turn out to be futile, they don't last. So pleasure, apart from Jesus, is futile. Let's keep reading. Chapter 2, verse 4. I increased my achievements, he says. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles This was my reward for all my struggles. And when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is about the pursuit of possessions. The pursuit of possessions. First, when we opened up the chapter, it was the pursuit of pleasure. And now he's turned his attention to the pursuit of possessions. I think it's absolutely fascinating that Solomon equates his possessions with his achievements. The things he owned Began to shape his identity. Having stuff made him feel important. And he saw them as his rights even. His reward for his struggles, he says in verse 9. And that's a fascinating insight. This book was written thousands of years ago. And yet they, they are proving to be a powerful diagnostic tool for the human heart no matter what era you live in, right? We can so easily attribute our possessions or even our accomplishments as being the things that define us or even shape our identity. But we are not what we own. We are not what we achieve even. What was Solomon's final observation as he reflects on this life where he surpassed everyone that came before him in riches, in greatness, in prestige? He owned it all. He had it all. He'd accomplished it all. Verse 11, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Possessions apart from Jesus Are futile. All right, let's keep reading. Verse twelve. This is the pursuit of wisdom. When I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realized that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this too is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Now, let let me just be clear as we reflect on this short passage for a moment. Pursuing wisdom is a good thing. I mean, Proverbs 4, 5 to 9. Now, Solomon himself compiled most of the book of of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, 5 and 9 says this get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom and whatever else you get. Get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. Now, if you misunderstand any of that, I'm sure you you can at least see the central idea. Get wisdom. It is supreme. So, So pursuing wisdom isn't bad. In fact, it's a good thing commended to us over and over and over through the Bible. Wisdom is needed for life. But I want you to look at what Solomon is saying here. Whether you live your life with wisdom or if you are a fool, Solomon says you both end up in the grave. So Solomon's reflecting on his life of wisdom and he's looking at wisdom and foolishness and he's saying, what does it achieve? What will it give us? What will be the benefit beyond just this life? Look, Solomon himself acknowledges that there is a relative benefit to wisdom, right? Verse 13, And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. By light we can see things in the darkness We trip over things. But he also acknowledges its limitations. There are many people who pursue wisdom. Who pursue understanding. Who want to know things. But they can easily miss the point. Your wisdom may make your life better here, Solomon is saying but it will not save you from the grave in fact your grave may lay beside the greatest fool you will both end up in the same place it wasn't that long ago when i was standing not very far from here just across town a little bit on a hill where there are dozens and dozens of gravestones dating back into the 1840s in fact In that plot of land have been laid to rest wise men, wise women, and fools. Your wisdom or your foolishness will not help you escape death. And eventually, you will be forgotten. Your name and exploits will end up. A distant memory at best. Wisdom, apart from Jesus, is futile. We're going to turn our attention to the last part of the chapter. Where Solomon's going to talk about the pursuit of work. Some people hate their jobs, right? But for others their work becomes an extension even of who they are. And we talk like this when we meet people. Say, hey, how how are you? Who's that person? And we often reply or respond with what they do. As if what we do defines who we are. Work is a good thing. Some people think that work was a part of the curse. You know, that... Adam and Eve sinned and God came down and cursed them because of their sin and that now they had to work by the sweat of their brow and thorns and thistles and all the rest of it. But work isn't a result of sin. Adam and Eve had a job to do before sin entered the world. They were given the responsibility to tend the garden to to extend the borders of the garden what was cultivated and good, and they were to work the land. They had a job to do. Adam and Eve had work even before sin entered the world. So work is a good thing. But pursuing work as a way of validating yourself or, or finding Value in this world is a futile and dangerous way to live, Solomon says. Work is good, but we can work for the wrong reasons. And that's what Solomon is warning us about. So let's read from verse 18 down to the end of the chapter. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun Because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take all of my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge and skill and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful, even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. Might pause there for a moment. This is Solomon's final thoughts on work. Verses 24 to 26. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Look, Working no matter what it is that God has called you to accomplish and labor in, can be fulfilling and a wonderful gift. Even something to enjoy while it's supplying for your material needs. But work for any other reason. Well, that's futile. Work, apart from Jesus, is futile. This passage triggered two thoughts that Jesus gave. Um, and I think this is, this is where I want to finish. And, and this is where I think the challenge is going to come to us now. In Luke chapter 12, you read this account of someone coming to Jesus with um, a request. They, They wanted their brother to divide an inheritance with them. You can read it in Luke 12 and 13 if you want to turn to it now or have a look at it later. It says someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. That's the teaching point that Jesus gives. And now he's going to supply a parable to illustrate that. Then he told them a parable. This is verse 16. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. This bloke must have been an Aussie. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink and enjoy yourself. The God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God second thought that triggered in my mind after reading Ecclesiastes 2 comes from Mark 10. Jesus was traveling. Mark 10, 17 gives us the story. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Editorial note, the question is flawed from the outset. What must I do? That's very much a human way of thinking. I need to do something. I need to, I need to earn this, right? Jesus doesn't go there. Why do you call me good? Jesus asks him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not false bear witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. I imagine Jesus was going, really? But again, he doesn't go there. 21, look at, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. What dismayed him? What caused him grief? Well, his possessions. I wonder if he hadn't learnt the lesson that Solomon's been warning us about. Life is more than the abundance of our possessions, as Jesus told the parable earlier. And this young guy that comes and wants to know how to inherit eternal life oh, I've done everything right, he says. But his possessions, his accomplishments, his achievements, his identity was so wrapped up in the wrong place. And he hadn't yet learned just how futile that is. Here's my point. Pleasure, possessions, wisdom and work will only ever make sense when they are found in jesus they will only ever make sense when we find our ultimate satisfaction in christ alone maybe you're thinking how's that even possible chris the disciples thought the same thing in fact the disciples that were with jesus when this young guy came and asked him that question they saw him walking away dismayed and grieved And Jesus had turned to them and said, oh man, it is so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's so hard, it would be easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle. And the disciples were dismayed and they sort of said, well, then how can anyone be saved, right? Verse 24 of Mark 10, the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, it is hard, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. you hear that? With man, it's impossible. Under the sun, from our perspective, it's impossible. But not with God. Because all things are possible with God. Sure, there's a futility in this life, chasing possessions. Pleasure, even wisdom and work, they're futile if they're apart from Jesus. But find your satisfaction in Him. Wow, anything's possible with God.